Years ago, when our kids were small, we had a babysitter. Her, her name was Mei Sim. Mei Sim was a delightful young Chinese girl and very innocent in every positive sense of the term. So one day I was driving her back home after we had been out and she was looking after our kids and she said, um, Mr. Campbell, could I ask you a question? I said, yeah, sure, Mason, anything at all. She said, do you have a job? I said, well, yeah, I, I do. She said, well, what is it? I said, I, I work at the church. And she said, that, that's it? That's all? And I said, yeah, that's it, that's all. So there we are. I want you to know I do have a job. So there are things that I do during the week. And one of the things is that on Wednesdays, I try to be fairly faithful in giving to Bethany and Dean um, a little synopsis of what I'm going to talk about on Sunday. So that should lead your mind to think, well, he must be thinking about that, maybe studying about that. So maybe there are some things that occupy his time. And as uh, we confer, sometimes we talk about what it is I'm going to talk about. A lot of times we just, each of us does our own thing. So Dean prepares the quotes that we have on the screen. He's faithful as anything. He's, I think he's waiting by his computer till my thing comes, and then he just you know, jumps to action and comes up with the quotes. And Bethany then also has the job of choosing music, choosing some songs that would relate to the topic. Sometimes I give her an impossible task, where, and she says there are no songs in the world about that that topic, right? And then there are topics like this one, where I said to her, if you can't find songs about the love of God, you're not worth your salt. So we're talking about the love of God today, and uh, it, it has, it has kind of gripped my heart in a, in a new and different way. Um, one, of, one of the things that has happened is that Dean chose um, a particular hymn that has been on Bethany's mind and heart, and I decided to begin the talk with this verse of the song. So l listen to these words, and if I were you, I would close my eyes and try somehow to grasp what the hymn writer was getting at when he wrote these words. Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. O oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. Isn't that gripping? And as a piece of poetry, as an image, it's enormous. I mean, it, he, he has captured the sense of the enormity of the love of God. You know, think of the oceans, the expanse of the oceans, and that they would be drained dry if we were to write as much as we could about the love of God. So how do you talk about something that is like that? How do you grasp anything to do with it. So I was taken by um, Packer's referring to this passage in Ephesians to a, a prayer that the Apostle Paul prays for the Ephesian believers about the love of God. And I want to just draw your attention to it today 
um, as, as I try somehow or other to catch your heart with the enormity of the love of God. Here, here's what Paul said. I'll, I bow my knees before the Father that he would grant you according to the riches of his spirit and the inner man. Um, I'm sorry, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now there's a little passage of scripture that should keep your mind busy for a year, right? Just even the words, the phrases, the ideas. So when I meditate on the verse of the hymn, it it catches my attention, catches my artistic attention. But it occurred to me this week that if somehow or other I don't I don't I don't get this. If if the love of God is so enormous, why don't I get it? I, I get it as a concept. Um, I, I get it as the main thing that the Bible talks about. But why does, does it not occupy my heart and my soul and my day, Monday through Friday and so on? So you, you know that I do weddings. So spring through fall, every Saturday, I get three couples in a row, try to keep their names straight, and I marry them. And it is a ton of fun. I mean, I get to be with people in the happiest times, on the happiest day of their lives, dressed better than they would ever dress anywhere else. And I get to work with some people who love doing what they're doing. And so apart from the fact that where I do the weddings, the little chapel up on the hill in Whistlebear does not have air conditioning and a suit is required... Apart from that, I really enjoy what I, what I do. And as I meditated on that this week and paired it up with the love of God, something dawned on me that I experience something at weddings that is very, very important to, to talk about. So what are my weddings like? It, they are delightful times. Um, I sometimes have a coffee with a couple before I've... Um, showed up to the wedding, we email back and forward, I get there 45 minutes early and go and talk to the guys and then go and talk to the ladies and all of that sort of thing. Um, But I get to stand between two people who for a half hour of their lives are absolutely convinced that they are desperately loved by at least one person in the world. And, And that's a delight to see. So a guy and a girl, and it is a typical scenario. The guys are all bravado, right? They're making fun of the groom. They're showing him the escape route. They're, you know, all the stuff that gets talked about beforehand. The bride with her bridesmaids are making sure that she's beautiful, that she is the queen for the day, and that if she needs lipstick, somebody has lipstick. If her veil needs to be fixed, somebody will fix it. If her train needs to be adjusted, somebody will adjust all of that. And, and then um, the, the two of them appear before me in front of the people that they love most in the world, their family and their friends. The guys these days cry 
I didn't cry at my wedding. Did you guys cry at your wedding? You're not going to admit it, right? And the girls don't necessarily, so it's more typical that guys are going to outcry the girl than anything else. But the thing I love most is watching the guy's face. Because if he has, you know, been macho ahead of time and it's all with his friends, it's all different when she appears. When she comes along behind the fence and everybody stands up to welcome the bride, I always look at the groom and inevitably, if the guy's face is not incredibly um, animated and desperate with love for his bride, there are tears that he can't control. So I had one last weekend, and the bride was saying to the groom, stop crying, stop looking at me. The groom was saying to somebody else, stop looking at me. The person came up and did the reading, said, don't look at me, and everybody was crying. So I I was almost crying, and I thought, I don't even know these people. (laughs) And I'm almost crying here, right? For a half an hour, at least, a man and a woman know that they are desperately and entirely loved. They say so to each other. And I believe it. And they believe it. And they experience it. it it's almost palpable. Um, sometimes I, I, I feel like I'm an intruder. Um, there are some couples who are so overtaken by this little while in their lives th- that I have to actually interrupt to say something because they're looking at each other. They're talking to each other. There are other couples and they're afraid to get close to each other. They don't know what the rules are, so they're keeping their distance. And I have to say, well, you you can actually come together a little bit. You can hold hands if you want to. Everybody's experience is a little different. But everybody that I marry for at least a half an hour of their lives are overwhelmed by desperate love. And the love that God has for us is in spades beyond the love that any human being ever has or expresses for a husband or a wife. And I thought to myself, that's what I need. I need somehow or other to have the experience of a daily knowledge of the love of God that makes me know that I am desperately loved by God. Not just in the beautiful words of a verse of a hymn, not just in beautiful theology, but somehow or other to feel that I am desperately loved by God. And then it occurred to me that there's somebody else in the universe who doesn't want me to experience that. And that the devil's duty is to tell me that it's not true. The devil's duty is to tell me that God does not really love me or that God loves me if or because or God is not that kind of a being. And I believe that far too many times. I believe far too often that God will love me if, not that God loves me so. So the difference is I have to perform or be for God to love me And God is saying, I love you so that you can become all the things you ought to become. Whatever change there needs to be in my life is um, as a result of God loving me so that I will live into that. Not he will love me if I perform, if I do, 
what he wants me to do. The love of God. God so loved the world. That's it. That's a single message, isn't it? That God loves us. And it dawned on me again that every single message I ever heard from Billy Graham at every crusade, every mission, ended with him saying, you need to know this, God loves you. Whoever the farmer is in Cambridge, Ontario, that pins up these little signs all over the world on trees and signposts that says, God loves you, is telling people the most important thing they need to know. That yes, in fact, God loves you. So I I know that, and you know that, but I want to feel it like that bride does and that groom does. I want to feel overwhelmed by the love of God because it is palpable and true and eternal. And indeed, if we could fill the ocean with ink and write about the love of God, we would not be able to plumb its complete depths. So think with me this morning just a little bit about what Paul is praying as he bows his knees, his knees um, with all of this. He says, I bow my knees before the Father that he will grant you according to the riches of his glory. And I, I just want to stop there for a second. What, what about the riches of his glory? He's saying, God, I want God to give you something from his reserves. And the reserves that Paul is thinking about are the riches of God's glory. So, Before we talk about love, let's talk about how rich God is and how glorious God is. And about each one of those topics, we could write another hymn and say there's no end to these things. God is incredibly rich. He is overwhelmingly rich. He has at his disposal every single thing. He has made everything that there is. And his glory is inexpressible. His, his glory, when we try to put it into human language, is this light that's unapproachable, that you, you, you can't even come near him because he is in this incredible sphere of glorious being. And Paul says, there's something I want to ask God for, and I'm going to ask him if he would reach into the riches of his glory. And then Paul says, and and. You need something. And this is what gets to me this week. God says, or Paul says, I'm praying to God, the one who has this incredible treasure of glory. I'm praying that according to these riches of his glory, that you'll be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner person. And when I say, I want to know that I am loved as the half hour of that bride and groom's life is palpably experienced. Paul says, you you can't drum that up. You can't imagine it. You can't write it up. God has to actually empower you in the inner person by his Holy Spirit. So I have something that I can pray for you, that you can pray for me, that you can pray for one another. If you say, I want to know that I am loved with an overwhelming love, like the bride and groom for the half hour of their lives, I want to be loved by God and feel, Paul says, well then, you have to ask the Holy Spirit. You have to ask the Holy Spirit to come into the inner recesses of your soul, of your being, and give you the power to begin to know that. So I'm sure we're all there. Um, In some measure or another, we all need to pray for that power 
And Paul says, there's no hesitation on God's part on that. There's no limitation on God's part. He has the, the glorious riches of grace that are going to be dispensed to you if you ask by the Holy Spirit into the powerful ability of your inner person to know something. And he goes on and he says, here's what it is. I want you to be empowered by the Holy Spirit so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Packed full of really critical concepts here. Christ dwelling in our hearts is a favorite theme of the Apostle John, not always of the Apostle Paul. John writes uh, chapters about this whole idea of being at home. So in my father's house, there are many places that are home. Um, and I, I want to abide in you. I want you to abide in me. All, they're all concepts of being at home. So Paul says, I want you to have an ability in your inner person to have Christ be at home in your hearts. So I've been watching a little confession when I'm not up there marrying somebody. I'm in the clubhouse watching the golf because it's a golf course. British Open is on this weekend. The British Open is being played 12 miles from where I grew up. And every fairway, apart from the new ones that they have built, I look and I think, oh, I remember that place. It's Port Rush, Royal Port Rush. And something happens inside me when I see home. It happens to all of us, doesn't it? And Paul says, he, he, I have something to offer to you today that is enormous. He says, I, I want to ask God for something for you that gives you an ability to feel at home with Jesus. So there's an ingredient of this experiencing of God's love. It's to experience the presence of Jesus in the sense that we feel as though we're at home with him, that we're taking a walk down the main street of our hometown with Jesus as our friend, as our master, as our savior, and it, it is warm and familiar and where we long to be and where we want to be. And then Paul says, I want this kind of dwelling to go on through faith. So there are a couple of things. We're going to have to ask the Holy Spirit to come and give us the strength and the power. We're also going to accept some things by faith. We're going to say that we believe that what God has done for us has made Jesus our friend and our master and has made us the recipients of God's incredible, overwhelming love. So then Paul goes on and he says, I want you, and, and, and it's like he says, I have these two ideas to give to you. I want you to be rooted and grounded in love. So rooted means if something's going to grow, it needs to be growing out of some good soil. Annabeth loves gardening. And I love Gerbers. Just That's the only part of gardening I love. So I, I always have my little thing of Gerbers. And there was something going wrong with our Gerberas in the last week or two. Uh, as the little new blossoms began to grow up, they, would, they fell over. They, they got wilty. And the leaves were wilty on one side of it. So we found ourselves digging into the pot 
where the Gerbera is to find out what's wrong with the soil, what's wrong with the root, right? Because that's the sense is that if, if something is going wrong as, as a healthy plant tries to grow, it's because there's something wrong in the rooting of that and what the plant is being rooted in. So Paul says, I, I want you to be rooted in the love of God. That's huge. That's saying the successful Christian life, the meaningful Christian life is one that finds its roots in God's love. There, there are lots of other things about God. There are lots of other aspects. There are lots of other things that are additives to the soil. But the actual soil of Christian growth is the love of God. Not the wrath of God, not the vengeance of God, not the justice of God. They're all important and profoundly true. But it's the love of God that gives us the roots. And then he says, the other idea I want to talk to you about is being grounded. Being grounded in love. You grow out of the love of God and you're grounded. You come back to the love of God. You return to the love of God. Whatever you're thinking about, whatever you're growing in, or whatever you're struggling in, get your grounding back to the love of God. That's, that's where you start thinking. That's where you start functioning. Um, and it is God's enormous gift to you. And then it's like Paul goes nuts. He just says, look, I want you to be able to comprehend. And then it's, it's like, what am I saying? You can't comprehend this. I want you to comprehend it, but, and here's the best I can, I can do. He says, I want you to be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, right? What is the length? What is the height? What is the depth? And to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Extravagant language. And Paul's good at extravagant language. He makes up words that don't exist. He, he literally does. There are Greek terms that are in no lexicon, but th there was no way to say it in Paul's vocabulary, so he made up some words. I don't think there are, any of them are in here. But, but this is just, I mean, it's like he's saying, I can't contain myself. And if, if I were to say to him, um, this is the way that I kind of approximate it, that it feels to me that for a half hour of two people's lives, they are completely overwhelmed by love. Paul said, he would say, that's it. That's what the love of God is. It completely overwhelms you. I look at that guy and that girl, they, they are oblivious to anybody else there. Half the time they're oblivious to me. They can't ever remember what they had decided to say, so I always say it for them and I tell them the answer. If they're supposed to say, I do, I tell them what they're supposed to say, I do too, and then I say, if so, please say, I do, because they look at me half the time just as though they're in space. I have grooms and brides who regularly forget where they are, and halfway through their vows, they go, wow, I'm getting married. I am loved. I am loved by this person. I tell every groom that he's going to have his bride wake up every morning and look at the ring he puts on her finger and remember that on this day he promised her that neither his eye nor his heart would ever wander from her and that she could count on it. And every groom looks at me and looks at his 
bride and nods his head. I tell every bride that when the groom looks at her, her ring that she has placed on his finger, she'll remember that here before all those people, you said of all the guys, you want to spend your life with this one. And I tell every groom that he can wake up every morning and be amazed by the truth of that. And he looks at his bride and he nods at me. A couple of yesterday met when they were in elementary school and he proposed to her on the playground of the very same elementary school and now here they are getting married. Each of them knowing that they are desperately loved by somebody and they can count on it. Do you, do you know that you're desperately loved by God? Not if you can be something different or if you can do something different. It is just the truth that the love of God is beyond comprehension. And yet we struggle to try to comprehend it with all the saints. So there are three things that I, I want to just suggest to you about that this morning. I want to suggest to you that when we think about this love of God, um, we need to know it. We just need to know that we are loved by God. Um, when I have talked with, with uh, friends of the Muslim faith and talk about God's love, it, it's not a known concept to them. God is not um, a person who is, is consumed or characterized by love. Allah is something other than that. Um, but to be loved... By God. Many times the people that I have worked with as, as a pastor, the biggest struggle in their lives is they don't know that they're loved. Um, young women with eating disorders that we ran a, a program for, um, to a person, um, they were able to talk about growing up in a situation where they were not just not loved but abused or hurt by people that should have loved them. Um, it, it, the absence of love in our world is awful. So we need to know it. We, we need to know in every way that we can to comprehend the height, depth, width, length, to explore the love of God to, to just work it for every sense that we can to understand what it is. What did the love of God look like in the Trinity before anything was created? What did it look like when God created this world? What, where did his love play into creation? What did it feel like to be loved by God walking in the garden in the, at the cool of, of the day? What did it feel like um, to be an angel in God's service? What did it feel like to be the Son of God and the Spirit of God loved by God the Father? Um, what are the technical aspects of it? What, what, what is love? Does God feel something for us? Um, what does it look like when God is loving someone, when he's loving us? What did it look like when Jesus, who was the perfect representation, the, the, the God in our neighborhood, what did it look like when he loved people? 
we hear stories of Jesus moved with compassion and moved with mercy and moved with tenderness. What did it look like when Jesus was loving people? What did it look like when Jesus was loving Peter, when Peter had messed up entirely? And when Peter was expecting that Jesus would say, I will love you if, and Jesus wanted just to say to him, you will become when you know that I love you. Um, you'll, be, you'll become the rock that I talked about. But in a very strange way, you'll become that by knowing that I love you desperately. What did love look like when Jesus was on the cross and he looked at his mother? What was in his eyes? What is love? So we, we need to know it. We, we just need to make this the study of our lives. Know it. Second thing is pray it. Because this is el- elusive to me and, and I think maybe to you. So Paul's good because he says you have to pray for this. You have to pray that God, out of his incredible store, will give you internally what you need to know that you're loved by God. So I'm going to have to pray for it. You're going to have to pray for it. I want you to pray for one another for it. That you will receive with all the saints the knowledge of the expanse of the love of God. We need to know it. We need to pray it. And the third thing is we need to say it to one another. One of my favorite writers is a person called Brennan Manning. He wrote about Abba Love. And a friend of mine took me to hear him at a, a small gathering in Toronto um, quite a while ago. So Bob brought me up at the end to introduce me to Brendan Manning. And, I, and he, he's a, just a delightful character of, of the Catholic tradition priest. Um, did a, you know, up in the mountains, being a, you know, a recluse for a certain length of time to try to learn some things about God. So Brendan Manning... Bob said, this is my friend Ian, and Brendan Manning put his hand out and he said, Ian, I, I want to tell you something. Your father's awfully fond of you. That he didn't say love was powerful, because it caught me. It was like, my father's fond of me? Because I, I don't often think he is, right? I often think he's disappointed with me. Not my own dad, my own dad now because he doesn't have all of his faculties he's very fond of me right but that my abba is fond of me not he could be fond of you or would be fond of you he just is and i believe that the deceit of the enemy works in all of our lives to rob us of the incredible power of this truth that this love of God that is so expansive is directed at you. Today, here, now, is directed at you. Your father is very fond of you. So you need to know it, you need to pray it, and you need to say it. So I hope that before you leave here today, you're going to look at somebody near you and say, you know, God really, really, really loves you. He really, really does. Let's pray. Father, help us to dare to believe that we could experience this love. 
guide us because now even in these few songs that we sing, we, we want to sing them prayerfully, calling out to you, grasping in some new way, some new dimension of this enormous commodity that we call the love of God. In Jesus' name.